You're listening to Asians Represent, a series on the OneShot Podcast Network. I'm your host, Daniel Kwan, and this episode is brought to you by our amazing supporters on Patreon. Head to patreon.com slash aznsrepresent for exclusive content, show notes, and more. Welcome back to the Asians Represent podcast. My name is Daniel, and today I have a great guest, a local guest, actually, um, who I'll let you do introductions. Uh, But we are revisiting a topic that we covered very early on in the podcast. One of the, I think within the first five episodes of Asians Represent, um, the audio was not very good, uh, but the topic was important. So important that I think, you know, I thought it was very, you know, worthwhile for us to actually revisit this. Uh, We're talking about TTRPGs and education. Uh, This is a topic that I think is relevant to everyone. Even if you aren't a teacher, if you're a parent or you have, you know, if you like learning, I think even if you don't have kids, like this is going to be an important topic because we are going to talk about a lot of RPGs and elements of RPGs that I think lend themselves to uh to learning uh but that's it before we even dive into the topic my guest ryan introduce yourself who are you obviously i've just said your name but who are you what do you do um let the audience know because this is your first time on the podcast it is and i'm really excited because i would i would listen to it when it uh first came out like i think the education episode is like the third episode or something but i think I saw that and I was like, oh, that looks really interesting. And that's like what got me listening to the podcast in the first place. Full circle now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I'm Ryan Khan, online known as the one true Ryan Khan, because my name is very, very common. And Is uh, it a common name? Oh, yeah. It's super oh, okay. common. Okay. There is a, I've met another Ryan Khan who's a teacher in Toronto. Right, and, oh, wow. Same school board? Is it the same school board? Same school board. Like we worked at the same school one day and I got confused because Oh, that's awkward. Like I saw some stuff for like Ryan Khan that was all signed. I'm like, that's not my signature. Just imposter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's actually really funny. But is there a Ryan Khan whose accomplishments outshine yours? Because I have well, to deal with a Daniel Kwan who won an Oscar. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's I have a- to deal with that. Who's, who's also, who kind of looks like me, Chinese, has glasses. Which is all you really need sometimes for some people. Apparently. Um, but I have to deal with that. Yeah. I, um, no, I just deal with emails for other Ryan Cons. Like really mundane everyday stuff. Today it was uh, somebody needing a signature for something. Uh, is it possible that it was actually for you and you were just unsure? No, because the picture that was sent along with it was definitely oh, not okay. me. <laughs> I've been invited to weddings, uh, baby showers. Oh, that's hilarious. I used to respond to I guess, emails too. Do you? Yeah. Just like have a little fun there? Like not not the right person? Yes. I usually send it as like not your Ryan Con. Oh my God. But I uh, wonder if you could, I wonder if you had like a second email, like a, like a burner email and you were like not your Ryan Con. Oh, I CC that every single time. <laughs> I feel like that'd be funny. There's something there. There's something there. I'm going to have to explain right? Or idea. if there's if there's like an underlying theme to each email, you could maybe create like a cool filter well, where I, it's like, are you sure this is the Ryan Khan? 
I think that might be fun. I do have my folder of that's just called not for me. Oh my god. Because I like to that stuff. That stuff scares me. <laughs> I like to hang on to it because a lot of them are just they're kind of funny to look back. It's like oh yeah, you missed your golf lesson. Sorry, sucker. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just a missed reminders for people and just like yeah. little stories about all the Ryan cons who have failed. Yeah. Well, I, and, I want to start looking for, I often joke that uh, my, I should make a podcast where I just search out these other Ryan cons and just like learn who they are. What's their thing. That might actually be, I feel that I feel like that's a really cool idea. The Ryan confluence the confluence it's just the confluence. Oh, the confluence and then you just reach out to all the ryan yeah. cons you learn about their life stories and then maybe one day you'll find that ryan con who missed the golf lesson reminder i, I might and then you've got their email i think that's cool <laughs> honestly i think i think that would be a i feel like there's also a tabletop rpg there i feel like there's something i feel like there's, it's something oh, that's you exactly. might like I feel like it's something you might design because not only are you one of many, many, many Ryan cons, apparently, um, not only are you one of potentially many Ryan cons who are teachers, but I think uniquely you might be the only Ryan con tabletop designer that I know. I'm the only that I know for sure <laughs> that I know as well. I haven't come across other Ryan cons. So in the, in the TTRPG world. So I think that's, that's where I got to carve out my niche. That you gotta like be the alpha Ryan Con, yeah, in design. Well, that's a- and I, honestly, I think your stuff is really good. Thank you. <laughs> like your stuff is really good. So like we first met, I feel like we first met before the pandemic for sure. Yes, we first met before the pandemic. We talked a bit, then like shit got real in the world. Oh, um, yes. Especially for you, I imagine, because you were a teacher. Oh yeah, I mean that was just a bizarre time of like I wasn't working for a while because schools were shut down. Uh, I got to teach online for a year. How was that? I honestly, I had a really good time. I was teaching kindergarten online and we had a really good time. So is it, oh, kindergarten online. I guess you don't have to do as much classroom management because it's up to the parents to do that. A little bit, but I still have to like be engaging enough that make, so that they don't just get distracted. That they're watching the screen. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. But we actually had a really good I, I use a lot of games for that. A lot of games, a lot of storytelling. I want to know all about that. I want to know all about that. Because, I mean, not only like is our long history the reason why you're on the show, but because uh, when I went back to Breakout Con this year, you had a booth. Yes. That was my first time tabling at at a con. And it was, just, it was a really good experience. Like, meeting you, meeting, like, other designers, other people, yeah. just, like, in the... TTRPG sphere was really cool. And then seeing people getting excited about games was just like, like yeah, it's it mean, invigorating. Like, you had uh, like a cool booth. Um, you had a really cool concept because you were actually running a game the entire con. I, I see yes. it on the wall behind you, <laughs> uh, which was so cool. Cause like, of course we were talking and we also sat on a panel together. Yes, we did. Um, uh, but I remember your booth having that. And you're like, do you want to draw a constellation? And I was like, what's this for? And you're like, oh, it's for, it's for one of my games. Um, and I thought that was really neat. And it got me thinking like, oh, okay. I think we really have to revisit education uh, and TTRPGs. Uh, because, well, I've just found the perfect local Asian guest <laughs> to do it. 
uh, because our last guest was like all the way over on the other side of the world in Southeast Asia. Oh, right. Uh, um, in the Philippines. Kyrol Hisham. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, he was in, um, I'm going to get it wrong, so I'm not going to say it. Um, you'll have to go back, audience, and listen to like episode three of the podcast. Um, but yeah, I think this is the perfect opportunity for us to kind of, I don't want to say post-pandemic world because we aren't really post-pandemic. Um, but I want to say in like a, in the COVID era that we're in right now, I think schools are really being pushed to their limit. Like not only in budgets, but also teachers. Like teachers are like just dropping off. Like they're oh, leaving teaching. Yeah. They're underfunded. They're burning out. And kids are not as engaged anymore because everyone is so mm-hmm. burnt out. I So Level Up Gaming, the, the autism program that I run, a couple of the participants have been like in school, like in college or finishing up high school entirely online. Mm-hmm. And now they're finally kind of going back to do in-person learning and they're getting burnt out. Oh, I see that with my students a lot. And it's not, and it's not just the burnout. I'm finding like, so I teach, um, this year I'm teaching grade four and grade five. Hmm. And what I'm seeing is like those like, two to three years of like kind of weird inconsistent schooling has had a major effect on a lot of students there are like some just really skills that i would typically consider kind of fundamental that are lacking because we i mean we were all trying to figure out what does online learning look like what does online learning look like for elementary school students for high school students for universities right and uh so they just, they've missed out on like some really important socializing on some just, like engagement, like being able to just, like be fully immersed in this, uh, in, in something that is genuinely educational. Yeah. I imagine the, like the social skills sides of it, side of it is just like, everybody's really behind. Yeah. But I'm oh, sure yeah. there are also kids who thrived in online learning. Oh yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, there are like, a lot of... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, like, I knew students who ha- ended up with a lot of really different opportunities because they were at home. And now a lot of those students were coming from, like, like really stable households, like, mm. you know, where they had, like, all their needs were being met, which isn't, I mean, which isn't, you know, the case for every student, unfortunately. Yeah, it's not. Um, but yeah, I know that there was, like, I've, I've met people who said, like, oh, the flexibility just like i need to just make sure that this is done by a certain time and i can get it in is yeah like the autonomy yeah for i mean for me the work from home life has been incredible like i can't go back to an office oh god like i think i go <laughs> yeah. to the office maybe once every 3 months for like half a day at a time mm-hmm. and that tires me out but like i am so productive at home and I'm just far more engaged and I'm comfortable. So I'm like, yeah, I'm like really into my work. And I think if this had happened to me when I was, you know, if I was in university, I, I think it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have made much of a difference. Mm-hmm. But if I was in like high school, I feel like this would have been huge for me. Mm-hmm. I think I honestly would have thrived if this happened to me. But I understand that this is, that's not the case for anyone, for a lot of kids, because A, yeah, you said they're missing out on, a lot of really important informal opportunities yeah. to kind of learn from one another, right? Those social skills. Um, like, I guess even conflict resolution too. I would imagine That's... like kids coming back, not being able to handle 
other kids. That is, and that's a big one, especially for like the the little ones, like like the really little ones. Like they haven't had to share anything. They haven't had to yeah. navigate like conflicting needs because they, you know, when you're at home, you can just like go and do what you need to do. So yeah, that's true. I, I think I I when I was in grad school, I took a um, I was in this like seminar and it was for like I was a really like at one point I was really eager grad student who was like a TA and wanted to take a you know like a course to improve my teaching skills and I didn't get much out of it (laughs) um the thing that still remains is like a quote that I bring into any conversation that I have about learning and it's actually from an unpublished dissertation uh from 1995 by a grad student at OISE uh, named Alice Pitt. So for those of you who don't live in Toronto and aren't a teacher, (laughs) like this very niche group of people who would know what OISE is, uh, OISE is the Ontario Institute of Studies and Education. It's kind of like one of... Oh, okay, cool. It's like one of the big teacher colleges in Toronto. It's for the University of Toronto. Um, But in this 1995 dissertation, Alice said... Learning about content is not the same thing as learning from it. In other, in other words, learning is something more than a series of encounters with knowledge. Learning entails, rather, the messier and less predictable process of becoming implicated, involved in knowledge. Oh, yeah. And that really stuck with me because I'm like, yeah, I look back at school and I, I remember I had an awful awful 10th and 12th grade math teacher same teacher um and she i know a lot of students hate will say this she hated me Uh, but i know that she hated me because she told my brother oh okay yeah she she told my brother she hated me and she purposefully went hard on me that's messed up Um, that like that she would do that it's super messed up tell your brother like there's just i know so many layers to that that's Miss Wynn. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't, I've got to be retired by now. But yeah, it was like, just like an awful teacher to me. But I had an incredible 11th grade math teacher who was super old school, was using like transparency sheets on a projector <laughs> yeah. with markers. And she was just this old Eastern European lady. But she just got me. And that is the one year in high school that I thrived at math. Mm. And it was like the most old school of teachers. But I think because I was invested, I was like, I feel like I understand how I can use this. Mm-hmm. And every other year, I struggled. Um, obviously, you know, having undiagnosed dyslexia and ADHD oh God, yes. in high school was like brutal. But also at a time when education was very much like, you know, the Montessori sort of like style of teaching mm-hmm. wasn't a thing. People aren't really embracing sort of student-led learning discovery learning isn't really a yeah, thing yeah yeah i mean like it's the type of education that you and i went through oh it's, yeah you get told things and you regurgitate them mm-hmm. which is and the most useless kind of education yeah. it's not really education right um because you're not taking it with you because you are using it for this you know for your tests for your evaluations yeah. and then once it's done it's out i mean i think this approach to education ends up being like, in my opinion, like backwards because we have this, like a teacher saying, here's what's important. 
learn it. And here's why you're supposed to care about it. It lacks context. It lacks like relevance to a lot of students. Like I thought that I was awful at languages because I struggled in French in French class. Uh, Then I went on exchange to Taiwan and I got Mandarin. I mean, I'm not fluent, but I got Mandarin fast. Like my Mandarin is so much better than my French in one in like one year, but it's because it was immediately relevant to my life. Like I went out and I would like practice. I would. You needed it. I would like pretend to be lost so I could oh. <laughs> like ask for directions so I could just practice speaking. That's awesome. Whereas here. That's like, awesome. I, I don't need French. I don't use French. And if I come across someone who speaks French, they also nine times out of 10 speak English. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm yeah, not saying that French is a true. bad thing to learn. And if, like, <laughs> if you enjoy it, like awesome. But if it, if you weren't just intrinsically motivated, it's like, well, why, like, why am I going to put effort into this? Yeah. If you weren't engaging with it outside of the classroom, mm-hmm. right. Or your time spent with it in the classroom was, was more of a chore to you. Yes. Than anything. Like I'm, that's, that's me in French. It was like, oh, it was the thing that you had to do. And then when I didn't have to take French anymore, I dropped it. It was gone. Um, and then it's gone. Like, obviously, I think as any sort of like any born and like Canadian <laughs> born and raised, I'm, I've still retained French. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, but do I sound good? No. <laughs> um, can I get around? No. Um, but it's just kind of ingrained. But I feel like it was just branded onto me mm-hmm. um, rather than something I, I kept because it was important. Yeah. I feel like that's what TTRPGs can be used for. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. I, when I asked our patrons for questions, I got one and we normally do questions at the end, but the first one was just so relevant mm-hmm. um, that I had to start with this. So Windstorm H, she asked, I don't know if this is in the scope of what you're planning. Yes, it was. Um, but I was recently invited to teach and GM for a family with a 13-year-old. I've never GM'd for anyone under 18. So what advice do you have for gaming with kids? And I think this is incredibly relevant to the oh, topic yeah. at hand. And it's the educational potential of RPGs. Because it doesn't matter what game you're playing. Play D&D, play like Pathfinder, play literally anything. Anything that they are interested in. Because... In storytelling games, practicing helpful behavior is commonplace, right? Because every single session is structured, collaborative problem solving where you have to work on your communication skills, your reasoning skills. You have to learn from failure, which is huge and kids don't get anymore. And you have to connect with others in a Mm -hmm. meaningful way. I mean, I've always. And that's something that's missing in the classroom. I've always felt that gaming together creates a, a. a very unique kind of intimacy and that's mm. one that can be leveraged in really really fantastic ways in the classroom because it's also building rapport it's also um like doing something that is just fun yeah yeah, yeah I, absolutely like i met a um a board game designer uh his name is scott i can't remember his last name but bs games also from okay. uh toronto and oh, shut up. he said for educational games, they have to be games first because students yes. will see through it. Otherwise I was like, yes, like these things have to be games. It's like 
you know, I, I've met people who said like, oh, we're going to play a math game, roll two dice and add the numbers together or multiply them together. That's like, not a game. That's not a game. That's just using dice to get a number. That's yeah. There's hundred percent, you know, but like when you make something a game, a, a game is begging to be played. And when the students just want to play it, it's like, okay, you've got this engagement. You've got this, like, again, like some intrinsic motivation. And then you can just run with that so easily. Yeah, I like that it needs to be a game first. Because a lot of people will design a game around a curriculum topic. Yes. Um, rather than build a curriculum topic into an entertainment experience. Uh, that's a really good way of putting it. I, li- I like that. It, yeah, that's you a- need to be. It needs to be engaging, and the subject matter is clearly not engaging to the students, and so yeah. the medium to which it's delivered needs to be engaging. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I think for me, when you know, when I'm thinking about the question, and it's like, okay, well, you're going to GM a game for a 13 year old with a bunch of adults, mm-hmm. right? Like, what advice do you have? And it's the same thing that I would bring into, like, any classroom. Like, what are we trying to achieve here? Like, obviously, if this is going to be for, like, friends or family, I would first say, like, ask, well, what do they want? Because they're the one who needs to be engaged. All the adults will obviously, like, play along because, you know, you're there and the kid's there. But, like, what do they want out of the experience? I mean, I guess it's this this new layer of, like, your session zero, right? Where you're gonna like you want to find out i mean at least for me for any table that session zero is like what do you want like if we're playing like D D, it's like there are lots of things you can explore within that sandbox and not everybody wants to explore the same thing and just finding out especially like with a 13 year old like what do they want to get out of the experience and they may not have like the most uh like they may not really know, but it is this inherently creative thing that is it's not hard to get buy-in from a 13-year-old. 100%. 100%. I think it doesn't matter what game you're going to play. They're going to be into it. Um, for me, it's like one of the factors is success at the table. You'll want a game where everybody is working together. Mm-hmm. You want a game where teamwork and collaboration is very much required for everyone to succeed because you want the adults to be supporting the kid right Mm -hmm. you want the kid to be supporting the adults right you want that collaborative behavior that you're trying to encourage there are a lot of rpgs where you can just kind of go solo uh and leave the group and do what you want yeah um that's not what i would recommend there are many that mechanically enforce actually playing as a group and sticking Mm -hmm. together um i mean I, obviously there's i mean uh the best one is uh and i i was looking for it but i realized i packed it away there is a my little pony rpg oh yeah Tales Tales of Equestria, of, yes and it has a friendship mechanic and it basically uses a s- stripped down 5e rule set mm-hmm. with a friendship mechanic and you could literally take those rules or that mechanic and then put another skin over it oh based easily on their interests easily right I mean, but yeah, that would be my advice. It's like you have to start with, you know, what do they want to achieve? Like, what does the kid want? And I think there are some setting expectations. Like, here's kind of what the game is about. 
and like I ran honey heist for some of my students one day Mm. and like just the conceit of like you're working together to steal the honey was more than enough for them to just start like bouncing off of each other and just like really like consider like oh this is a heist we're a team we have a goal to reach let's do this and they got to be bears and terrorize people so that was also helpful but you know like yeah like just the kind of the the set dressing to that right inherently that's cool. collaborative and it's silly too right yeah. it's like we're you're gonna you're gonna steal the honey um now i gotta ask you because i know not all classrooms have teaching aids teaching assistants mm-hmm. are you just is it just it, you yeah, as the teacher yeah, it's just me i've got 24 students so how do you do that with 24 players so i don't typically do it with 24 players uh, what I've been doing, I've, I've been training little GMs. Oh, awesome. <laughs> so that they can then start running their own little groups in the class. Uh, I right. have a handful of solo games in the classroom as well. So they can, like, if that is a way that they want to explore, they can. But a lot of it is like, I mean, this is a, a, a thing that you see a lot in teaching where it's like you kind of get the group on a big activity and then start pulling a few kids here and there. Right. And so for a lot of the storytelling stuff, I'll do things like that, or it's things that they can kind of run on their own. Gotcha. So kind of like you're identifying students who are like showing the desire to maybe be leaders or catching on to this and you're giving them sort of responsibility. Hey, you can run this game. Um, You're also, you know, providing an opportunity to those who, you know, maybe don't want to participate in these group activities and you have a solo game where you can still kind of take control of your learning. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And are all of these games games that you've designed? Oh, no. I mean, I had, like, I, at the beginning of the school year, I went through the, um, that first giant itch bundle, the one for, um, was it racial equality? and? Oh, yeah, that one. There were, there were there was like several thousand games in it. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, I, yeah. I went through and like curated a list of games I thought would be uh, approachable for like you know ten year old students. And I printed which up, ones? I mean, a lot of like prompt based ones were really good. Right. Um, like uh, what's it called? Uh, Kiana. What's her last name? Kiana Shaw. Uh, about the astronaut and going to space and. Oh yeah, I have a physical copy of that. That kind of gave me in a con, but like I gotta find that. It was a great game because it's just a couple of pages, and and it's very easy to understand, right? And so like I had stuff like that, or I had like a bunch of little zine games because then it's like we talked about like making zines as well. Oh, that's so cool! <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah, our first kind of big project in the class was make a game that uses the number 10,000. Okay, tell me more. So they, so was that the only parameter? Like design a game, it uses the number 10,000? Yeah. Is it, does it have to be in the title? Does it have to be in the mechanics? I, I left it totally open because this was the beginning of the year. Okay. So I was not as, like I wasn't thinking much as much about content and thinking a little bit more about like building classroom relationships and having something to focus right. on. 
and then I mean, ten thousand was just because, like, literally in the curriculum, they have to work with numbers up to ten thousand. Oh my god! Okay, <laughs> but like, just some really, really clever games that came out. I want to know more. I got. I, I got to know more. Like one of them was like this really intense Fortnite inspired game, but there was okay. this giant map and cards for where you could drop in and loot cards and um. I think like you could earn up to like ten thousand V bucks, not V bucks. Yeah, but, yeah, eh. yeah, yeah. Trademark. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, another another student who made a, a tourist trap game about like getting stuck okay. in tourist traps and trying to like make money from tourists. Oh my god! <laughs> like like scamming tourists. It was more like it wasn't like a full on scam, but more like hitch. Okay. You know, it's like, okay. That's that's interesting though. They're kind of drawing on, you know, real world stuff. Yeah. That's really yeah. cool. Huh. Yeah, they, I mean there's uh one group. You did basically you just did a game jam. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it was you said the ten thousand game jam. And like everyone was super engaged and we ended up with some really just some really cool things and we had a day where we got to like play each other's games and right. it's like, yeah, this is I feel like I missed out when I was a student. That would have been so cool. And like, what a great way to get kids to, especially at the start of the year, feel comfortable with one another, Mm -hmm. do something that's kind of silly, do something that's free form. And then, you know, then they have to present it to everyone. I'm assuming they have to teach it to others. So that's another skill. It it taps into so many different skill sets. And like when they started teaming up, there's like, okay, you're going to take care of the art. I'm going to take care of the board. You're going to do this stuff. That's like, right. And then they just lean on their strengths. Mm-hmm. So then they're, they're self-reflecting. They're identifying, like, okay, what am I strong at? I'd like to do this. Yeah. And then they have to put it all together. And then we use uh, solo journaling games as reflection pieces. God. Solo journal- <laughs> journaling games are really cool, but I've only played like horror once <laughs> I've, i haven't played anything that's a little bit lighter in in theme yeah i mean Ooh. some of them i came across were in that bundle like oh yeah i could use it in the classroom this is reflecting about like me and like how i've changed over time and stuff like that so it's like right like especially like the really small indie games are great for stuff like that you wouldn't actually think that that's oh wow that's you wouldn't think that like a journaling game would be something that you could pitch as like a game. Like this is something that I'm going yeah. to play as a game because it's like, oh, we're just going to write a journal because I remember back in school, we had to do that all the time. But if it was pitched as like, hey, this is a game and you're going to get prompts and there is going to be fiction involved or maybe just self-reflection involved. I feel like my engagement or my willingness to actually do this would have been mm-hmm. you know, much higher. I... Every time I talk about education in games, I, and I know I shouldn't, I feel regret over when I was even born. I'm like, ah, it would have been awesome to be like a student now because I feel like now more than ever, kids have more control over, I wouldn't say like their future because the world is on fire, but I think kids have far more control over how they learn and the direction of the learning. I know that there are a lot of old school teachers who are resistant to that. But there are a lot more younger teachers who mm-hmm. entered the profession because of their passion for teaching. And they are bringing their passions for like music, games, art, 
into their classroom and incorporating that into literally everything else that they're responsible for. And I just think that's really cool. I I know that, you know, a lot of companies out there will send games to schools mm-hmm. or send kits to school, schools to kind of help them set up their like D&D club. Um, there, I think there are a lot of those now, especially in the States. Mm-hmm. I don't know about your school. Uh, it's just me at my school. Oh, so <laughs> not yet, but, but one day, one day yeah. you, you're going to be the games teacher. That's, that's kind of cool. So I gotta, I gotta ask, and I, I want to know like a teacher's thoughts on this. Like you're a grade fourth and fifth grade teacher. Mm-hmm. One of the things that, you know, we talk about in RPGs is that like, the really great thing about them is that it's totally okay to fail. Yeah. And in the in like in tabletop RPGs, we see this in actual plays and everything like that, even in the D&D movie. Right? I haven't seen it yet. Oh, okay. The, there's like a, a, it very perfectly captures the experience of playing D&D with real people. <laughs> like people like messing up all the time or people like getting the rules wrong or really holding each other back but you have to work together. But in TGRBGs, like, failure is as safe as success mm-hmm. and sometimes more entertaining than success. And, you know, you've talked about, like, journaling games and a lot of these, like, one-pagers or, or you know, zine RPGs. Mm-hmm. Are, is this something that you're seeing where, like, hey, failure is important. Failure is something that we have to, you know, I mean, I, I... understand and react to. I try to At that grade. bring that into the entire classroom. So I think it's a really yeah. important skill, like learning how to fail and realizing that failure doesn't have to be awful. Yeah. And I mean, I think games are really, really good at, at teaching that. Uh, so I've been running the wild sea for some of my students. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I had one student who like, he struggles to be engaged sometimes. Like he really has a tough time and he just kind of like his thoughts wander and he just like, he's just kind of off in his own little world sometimes. But once I started introducing more game stuff, like I just saw his creativity turn on and all of a sudden he's like coming up with all this stuff, but he still laughs about this, like a catastrophic failure that his character had the first time he played the wild sea. That's awesome. And it's something that we go back to and just laugh about. And because of that, and I think maybe building rapport and building relationships with other, like his, his classmates and stuff like that. It's like, he's much more interested in just like trying stuff out now. Yeah. Because you, you don't have that, that fear of failing. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause I mean, for me growing up, I don't, I, I suspect that, that many, <laughs> Many children of the Asian diaspora can relate to this. But, you know, growing up, you make one mistake and you're basically held to that mistake for your, like, entire oh, life. Oh, yeah. It's like, remember when you were 12 years old and you you did this wrong? Make sure you <laughs> yeah. don't do that now. I'm 33. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm not, right? Um, or like, hey, I had this awful teacher. I Education RPGs is really important to me because I've seen how it can help kids and i've seen how traditional education has failed kids Mm -hmm. and it saddens me um i had a teacher in the eighth grade miss segator and that's a very villain like name 
Um, <laughs> she was a, a big part of my my childhood, and uh, that I had to unlearn a lot of the experiences that I had with this teacher um, because I was a kid with undiagnosed learning disabilities. Mm-hmm. This was the eighth grade was also when I got glasses. Oh. And I couldn't see the board. And I didn't think mm-hmm. that something was wrong. Yeah, well, how could you? It was just, that was just. How, how could normal. I, right? Just your vision just slowly starts to go. And she, I remember doing an after school meeting with my eighth grade teacher and my parents. And she told my parents that there is a chance that Daniel's not going to go to high school. Oh, my God. And I'm there. And this is after I've struggled up until this point. I had a really great teacher in the sixth grade, Mr. Lewis, uh, who said to my parents who relayed this to me when I was an adult, he said, when Daniel's ready, he'll, he'll be fine. But I only had one teacher like that. And I didn't That's... really thrive until I got implicated in my learning, until I became engaged in it. That wasn't until second year university. Which, I mean... That is such a common story and a huge failing of our educational system. And it's a thing I see still happening. And I'm I'm not going to say that I am the perfect teacher that catches all my students, but I think trying to meet students where they are is such an important piece of being a good teacher. Yeah. Yeah, and pe- people aren't willing to do that, right? I um it's going to get heavy for like 2 minutes. So you can skip ahead 2 minutes. Um and I'm looking at the timer right now, 2 minutes. Um so I had a student who I taught for 3 years at the ROM. It was in the D&D program mm-hmm. that I ran at the ROM. And bright kid, so bright. Like Parents were super supportive. They traveled the world together. Um, They made sure that their kid really was engaged. Like, they engaged with what he was interested in. He's super bright, always at the front of the line, always asking questions. Mm -hmm. Really, like, clever but chaotic D&D player. Like, a model student. And, you know, aged out of my program, went to high school, and the pandemic happened. And along with high school came the pressure of you need to know exactly what you're going to do with your future. I still don't know what I want to do with my future. Right? Like, and I've got like a job and like all this stuff. I still don't know what I want to do with my future because I don't know what's going on with the world. Um, But uh, about a year into the pandemic, he just couldn't, couldn't take it anymore. And you know, was online learning, struggling with one class and the pressure of like, oh, I have to do well in grade 11 and grade 12 and just, you know, decided to end it. Wow. And that happened. And I'm still in touch with, you know, his his, his mother, mm-hmm. who's like a huge supporter of mine. Uh, we keep in touch. We check in on each other. And it rocked me. It like it rocked me hard. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And for me, it was like, how could this 
this bright kid who was so engaged in my classroom, so into learning with a, like the perfect family, the parents who just let him do what he wanted to do, mm-hmm. like indulged in his interests, had good boundaries, right? Communicated. Like online learning broke him and that pressure of like, and we'll never know what the real yeah. cause is, right? But like being online, being isolated, and then having the pressure of having to decide your future. Yeah. In a time of particular uncertainty. Yeah, absolutely. And and I can only relate to like a fraction of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I I basically restarted my life after I dropped out of grad school. Like I, you know, I have a master's in archaeology and I'm six years into my PhD in archaeology. Now I've got now I'm like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. I need to drop out and then I need to find out where I'm going to land. And I feel like I'm in grade 11 all, uh, again. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, what do I do yeah. now? I have to think about my future, except now I'm able to not only comprehend the disappointment that is being, you know, pushed my way by my family, but I'm also old enough and experienced enough to understand that I have to compare myself to everybody else in the world or I'm being told that I should. And I feel like games were like a big part of me kind of healing. Mm. And when used in schools, I feel like games are a really great tool to make sure that kids are still passionate about their sort of learning experience, Mm -hmm. still hopeful about the future, still able to make meaningful connection with each other, right? Because I mean, what's it, those, the four C's, communication, collaboration, critical thinking, and creativity. When I think back to all of the schooling that I, that I've done, I can't think of a time when all four of those things coexisted as at once the creativity piece is one that is particularly rare yeah. unless you are in a like creative field and i use the scare quotes for creative because yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean everything has a creative element right like i I'd, I'd, like coming up with like figuring out how to solve a math problem requires a kind of creativity even though we don't often talk about it as creative it's true but i've seen i've seen those videos of kids from around the world approaching the same math problem mm-hmm. using the methods that they're taught in their country and it's wild like well, why don't we do that <laughs> i mean like i i taught in taiwan for a few years i taught in japan as well mm-hmm. and it's it's so interesting when i think about like how my students approach problem solving and especially like my Japanese high school students, whenever I asked them to do something that was creative, they struggled. Not because they weren't creative, but they just hadn't really been asked to be creative in a school setting. And so they weren't sure yeah. like what the expectations were or weren't sure like how to do it right. Yeah, because we're we're taught that and this goes back to that that whole thing about our aversion to failure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We can't fail. And I know that there are, especially in like East Asia, you know, other cultural pressures that we we don't understand. Mm-hmm. I mean, in China, they've got their the equivalent of the SATs. But like 
a hundred times harder and a hundred times more important to your future than the SATs a, a in much, the United States. A much larger, uh, I think, impact on future opportunities. Yeah, so much so that you know there are pictures online of tutoring centers where kids are hooked up to IVs so they could study. I remember, and this was actually with uh, Emma, who you met at Breakout. Oh Con. yeah, um, we were in Beijing and happened to be around when students, high school students, were doing the like practice practice tests, mm-hmm. and there were parents camped outside of this school with cameras and like those like camping chairs yeah. waiting for their kids to come out because they they want to know how well they did wow, this practice yeah. test. That's so much pressure. And I remember when the gates opened up. And I say gates because it's yeah. very much like a prison. <laughs> like when the gates opened up, these kids looked dejected. And that kind of pressure is can can break any person. Oh. And oh, absolutely. the idea that like your family's success, your legacy is just riding on you. All of that is riding on you mm-hmm. will make anyone scared to try something where the outcome is uncertain. Yeah. Right. And that's when it's like, I want you to be creative. What's what's the right way to be creative? What are you looking yeah. for? How am I being graded on this? And that doesn't happen in games because those four C's, you know, communication, collaboration, critical thinking, creativity are all the fundamental components of playing yes, tabletop RPG. Yes, absolutely. Right? And so I kind of wanted to pivot, and I wanted to ask you. Yeah. And I brought some too. What are some games that you would recommend to people? Not yeah. just for like the fourth and fifth grade class you teach, mm-hmm. and you could say your own games because I'm going to say one of your games. <laughs> um, but what are some games that you would recommend? I mean, honestly, Old by Starlight is really effective in the classroom i've used it with lots of different classes lots of different ages and while my kind of approach to the game it like building up to playing the game itself is a bit different um right there's a lot to tap into i mean so told by starlight is a game about drawing constellations and making mythology you draw dots on a page connect those dots to make constellations and then you tell a story about it and the, you use a deck of playing cards, which gives you extra little prompts just to get, like um, help set the scene. Yeah. But, I mean, the obvious tie-in is just world mythology. And it's also a really, really easy way to represent, to have different cultures represented in the classroom. Because as you start talking about mythology, like yeah. I've got, you know, students who are newcomers to Canada, students who whose parents moved to Canada when they were born here, and all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, I know this story. I've heard this fable. I've heard this tall tale. And it all kind of comes out because mythology is not unique to any particular culture. Yeah. And so you have this easy tie-in and then reading other cultures' stories. But then with the drawing, uh, I know a class that used it and then used it to practice uh, using a protractor. And measuring angles. Oh, yeah. Because they've drawn these constellations, but you get this added, like, this is how people like can navigate by stars and chart stars. It's by taking these measurements. So it's not just that you're doing this thing that's just pretend, like, you are acting like a real mathematician. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I guess there's also this added layer of, like, you know, when we look up at the stars or 
in the case of Told by Starlight, when you're looking at that black sheet of paper with all of the dots all over, it's just like people from around the world looking up at the stars in, you know, mm-hmm. in ancient times, right? Everybody is interpreting the stars in their own way. And what you're doing is you're basically putting it all on a shared canvas, yeah. which is really, really cool. It, it, if you weren't going to talk about your own <laughs> game, I was going to talk about it. Because, I mean, as an adult, I had a great experience with it because I, 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 I contributed two constellations, I remember. And the first time I was like, oh, I, I don't play a lot of games where I have to be artistic mm-hmm. because I always play it in my strengths and like I like to world build. Mm-hmm. Um and so I remember the first time being like, oh, I'm not sure. And then the second time being a lot more confident with it. And I can't imagine doing this in a classroom, but on like a really large scale with a ton of people. And then keeping that like you've done on your wall behind yeah. you and then using that for other lessons. Like, okay, let's talk about, you know, world mythology. Let's talk about something from every every culture that's represented in our classroom. Let's Let's talk about, you know, the stars. Let's talk about space. Yes. Oh, right? yes. Like, what is a star? Now we're going to talk about chemistry. Um, like, that's exactly the point, right? And so good. Using the game as kind of like an anchor point. It's something that because the students helped create it, they have an investment. Mm. It's like like that session zero where you do a bit of world building with everybody. All of a sudden, the whole table has this investment. Well, it's the same thing in the classroom. Yeah. And then yeah, you created something. Like we did something like Told by Starlight, which I, I basically adapted, but we had a giant map that was like in the middle of the room that we kept adding to. And then I love that. And it was like and it was like a big world building game. Yeah. And they took on different roles and but like they were all invested in this community. Like it's inspired by like Told by Starlight, but also I took a lot of cues from things like the quiet year. And I was just about to say, is it, it's, it sounds like the quiet year. Yeah. And man, yes. I mean, I think told by starlight works well, but also, uh, the quiet year can be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. The quiet year is a really good one. Another one, if you're into like world building that I would recommend is microscope. Oh, that before. Oh, I love microscope. Yeah. So like microscope, like I have a physical copy. I love this game (laughs) so much. Microscope is a fantastic game, even if you're not in like a classroom, if you're if you've got a home game that's been going on for like years and you need like a break. Microscope is a really cool game to play because it's all about collaboratively crafting an epic history. Mm -hmm. And so you're like, okay, well, a lot of people ask me like I get DMs all the time from people who just want like tips on how to like run their game or world build. Mm -hmm. Um I was at my LGS actually yesterday playing um, this uh, TCG called Flesh and Blood that I've recently gotten into. And afterwards, I got a message on Discord on the the, the store's server. And somebody was like an Asians represent. Oh. Like audience member, somebody who watches us all the time. And I was like, oh, that's super cool. And a couple of other people, you know, who were in attendance started messaging me. And one of them I was talking to today, he was asking me questions about world building. And I feel like we put a lot of pressure on ourselves as world builders. If you're running a game for your home or if you're doing it professionally, Mm -hmm. like if you're in the industry. And I think we forget that this is a group experience. And Microscope is a really, really, really 
great way to step back from like an existing game, an existing story Mm -hmm. to involve everybody else in it, to get everybody else as engaged because we can go and, you know, write out this epic history of your land. But if the players don't care or the players don't know, then it serves no purpose to the the table. But Microscope is a great way to do that. Microscope is fantastic. Uh, I actually have... uh... Uh, an Usha inspired game of microscope on the go right now. Really? Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> we wanted to, it was like an exploration of like, how can we turn microscope into like a big, like an action game? Yeah. And battles. Yeah. Big political events. Like all these like reveals and like the reframing of power levels. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, you could, cause you could do like the whole cultivator's journey through microscope oh, that's you could. A, i never thought about that that's really cool and i think like even as a standalone game if it's not a supplement to something you're already doing microscope is a really cool way to get people thinking about history mm-hmm. right and how you know the victors like you know are the ones who write history but in this case like you could do like told by starlight let's talk about like the mythology of this world and then let's take everything we know from that and then let's craft the history of the people yeah Literally, the history under the stars. Ooh. Um, And I think, yeah, so for me, like, Microscope is a really big one. But, you know, we've been talking a lot about social skills and, um, like, art. And I know that there are a lot of people who will want, like, well, what about a more traditional tabletop Mm role-playing experience? I've picked three. Um, One of them is actually by another educator. Uh, named Marshall Miller. It's a game called The Warren. Oh, yes. I haven't played it, but I, uh, I, I've i heard of it and I've read some stuff about it. The Warren is a fantastic game. It's like Watership Down, but it's written by a scientist. Um, and it's a Powered by the Apocalypse game, so you know it's rules light. You know it's incredibly collaborative. But I played this in the classroom, and it was an incredible way to teach science. Mm. We, um, at the ROM, we had this, this person come into like the office, like for like the teachers and she had a basket of bunnies and just like came in unsolicited to basically just like pitch a program. And she just had a basket full of literal live rabbits. And it was like the weirdest thing. And I was telling my students that this happened. And they were just like enthralled that somebody could just walk into the museum with a basket full of rabbits, go to an office and be like, hey, here's my pitch. And I ran the Warren for a group of my students who were interested. And in the scenario, they were the rabbits who had been brought into the museum. Mm -hmm. And what we did was as we were playing every single scene, when we moved from one part of the museum to the next, we actually took our game to that part of the museum. Oh, that's awesome. And they had to engage with like the physical space that they were in, but also think about the perspective of a rabbit mm-hmm. and also learn about like, well, what are these rabbits capable of? You know, how can I, can I actually reach this thing? Can I jump from here? What are the things that I might actually perceive as dangerous mm-hmm. being a rabbit in a natural history museum? And it was a really, really cool experience oh, yeah. doing that. Um, do you have any others? I have like a list, so I want to know if uh, there are any others that, that you have. So I know I've been talking about the wild too a lot. I was a contributing writer on it. Um, Bless. That's awesome. And, <laughs> and go buy it now. <laughs> and Felix is a dear, dear friend. 
in fact, uh, the first supplement's on Kickstarter right now. But is it? Oh, yes. Okay, I'll have to link it. I'll have to link it. <laughs> oh, which I'm, okay. I'm, set, you'll have like, to send me the link after, and then I'll put it in the show notes. Perfect. Uh, but I've been playing it in the classroom. It's another one that actually ends up being really effective for science because the mm-hmm. setting itself is the world was taken over by a forest, and you play wild sailors who sailed through the tops of trees on chainsaw-powered ships. Yep. It's a big, beautiful, <laughs> weird world. And with one of my uh, GMs in training, uh, she set up this thing about this like giant uh, centipede attacking, oh, yeah. um, attacking a town. And at one point she says, what, what eats centipedes? Right. Like, well, let's look this up. And we start looking it up and we're looking at different centipedes and we're looking at like predators and prey and all this stuff. And then, right. And then she's like, yeah, uh, the centipede is starting to run away because a spider is coming. A giant spider is coming oh, to attack. Super cool. <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, that's great. One super exciting for me as a player. Like, oh, there's so much yeah. to like to rock with. But I was just like, she, again, if we talk about engagement, right, very naturally, just it sparked her own curiosity. And that curiosity led to her own research. Yep. Yep. A hundred percent. And I'm sure if I went to her today and asked like, Oh, what are some things that eat centipedes? She would be able to give me a list. That's super cool. That's yeah. That's, I don't need like, I I would imagine some birds, I guess it would depend on the the type of centipede as well. Mm -hmm. Cause there were like giant centipedes and then there are some that are non-venomous, at least to humans. Yeah. Like that, that line of thinking, I think, is really important. Uh, I mean, I mean, when people are world building, like even if you're, even if you aren't aren't in that like this instant of telling a story with others, and if you're prepping for a story, just the amount of research that you could do mm-hmm. is like incredible, especially if it was in the classroom. Oh yeah, I mean, we I was able to tie that into our like our unit on biodiversity and and ecosystems. Yeah, which I then just. Reinf- like reinforces the world building because it's not just these things in isolation. You have these things that interact with other things in their environment, which interact with other things. Of course. And all of a sudden, like we're talking about these like rich, like ecosystems, and they, you know, I, like our school's not far from uh, the Don Valley. It's like okay. when we went for a walk down there, it's like oh yeah, we're like looking at noticing all these things and like it's easy to tie it back to the wild sea because it's all about exploration in this kind of like very like this verdant world and it just invites yeah. coming up with these like like interesting creatures but how do they interact with the rest of the world absolutely i do this thing where if i'm on like tiktok or some sort of like fast algorithm based social media <laughs> um if i see something really interesting related to nature mm-hmm. i will always look it up and save it yeah uh, and the most recent one is actually a type of bee uh, that's native to Australia, primarily around Queensland. And the um, they make a very interesting hive that I feel like you might really like. Um, the scientific so the scientific name is Tetragonula uh, hawkingsi. Uh, so they're a stingless bee. They're black, and their hives look like 
something out of Lovecraft and sci-fi. Right, I'm going to have to look this up afterwards because that's... Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll send you fantastic. some stuff. Yes, yes, please. They, their hives look incredible. And like the video I saw was of, um, I guess, the, uh, a, a beekeeper, somebody removing the hive, opening up a plastic garbage bin. And the hive had this... Or it wasn't honeycomb. First of all, it wasn't honeycomb. It had this organic look to it. Like it was this lattice, like this fleshy lattice Mm -hmm. that was built within the confines of this garbage can. And it had the same sort of aesthetic as the flood from Halo. Oh. Like all of, like how they take over ships and stuff and take over worlds. And these tendrils, these veins basically spreading out in an oddly, and it's something that looked in a really organic yet purposeful way. Mm -hmm. Um, And, I do this every single time I see something neat on social media when it comes to an animal because I'm like, I could incorporate this into something even in the future. Like there's a, there's a type of viper that has a rattle adaptation where the scales on its rattle or the scales at the end of its tail, I shouldn't say rattle, um, protrude mm-hmm. in a way that looks like an insect. Oh, yes. And, and they sit on cliffs and they wave their tail around. And wait for birds to come and try. I've to seen videos of that. The birds, like so cool, um, and just like seeing that sort of stuff inspires me to be like, I want to put this in a game. Oh, me too. Easy. Like I want to write this into something. I was at the local game store the other day. There's a store in um, my area called the Sword and Board. Oh, I don't know. That one. Um, they sell a lot of like. They're the only store that I've seen in actually the city that sells a lot of like OSR products. In oh, format. cool. And they also have boxes and boxes and boxes of vintage RPGs. Um, They're primarily what I go there for. Um, But I saw a game called Fungi of the Far Realms. And it was like a a supplement. And I opened it up. It was beautifully bound. Like it was a hardcover, but the material was almost like that, you know, that fabric hardcover. Oh, yeah. It's like that rough, coarse mm-hmm. fabric hardcover. I opened it up, and it was just a book of these beautiful water and oil painting fungi That's so- with little narrative prompts that you could use to put them in your game. And it was basically like reading a field guide oh, that's for awesome. a fantasy world. And it was so cool. And I looked at it, and I was like, I need this, and I need more of this. Can you imagine if – somebody went and just made field guides for for fictional worlds like with no context i mean immediately you say that and i'm just like oh i could do that with my students yeah like we could make 100%. little field guides based on different environments just around the school even yeah like you could go and take like uh you can have a prompt to be like okay yeah. we're gonna look at this part of like you know the playground be like, okay, what do we see here? What are the the different like, okay, with dandelions, we're we're seeing mm-hmm. like like garlic mustard, we're seeing grass. What kind of trees are we seeing? What kind of what type of birds are in the air? Okay, cool. How would somebody from another world interpret these? Yeah, I think that prompt alone would be super interesting because oh, you could make a collection of essentially alien life forms. Like the I guess the exercise would be okay. Well, what if you were an alien and you came down to Earth and you saw these things that were around us, like things that we take for granted. We're kind of going the other way in my class right now because um, we started talking about um, 
systems in the body and science. Oh, cool. Uh, but I'm doing it through like a, a sci-fi lens. So like okay. whenever you do it, like I put on like the enterprise, like hum of the spaceship as background oh, yeah. sound. Yeah. And I call them all doctors. Like, oh, you guys are the expert scientists. We're going to like create a new life form, but we need to understand how biology works in order to do this. The systems. Yeah. And so we're like researching about the, the respiratory system and the nervous system and all this. And, and we're going to finish it off. I'm going to try and get the uh, spore creature creator. Oh, yeah. And then yeah. have them like design their own creatures. Have you played Clayorama? No. Okay. So this is, you're going to look, I'm going to send this to you later. Uh, in an old issue of Dragon Magazine. Mm-hmm. They there was like a two pager for a game called Clayorama, and it was literally about using modeling clay like Play Doh to make and battle your own creatures and monsters. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, <laughs> so good. Yeah, yeah, it's so good, right? Because that's exactly your project. Oh, yeah, um, easy. But this was in the official D&D magazine, Clayorama. It's it's fantastic i was talking about this on an episode of no dice no problem which is like our yeah our like sort of variety show and i was telling drew about a genre of game that i've become enthralled with called the bronstein oh and and it's one that i've never played because it's not really played at cons like widely played at cons anymore but it is the game that scholars consider to be the the, the prototype for tabletop role playing, mm-hmm. and it is literally rules light. It'd be perfect for a classroom because the 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 composition of the classroom is exactly what the game should be. Mm-hmm. You could have up to twenty four players. You have one referee. Every there are really like no rules, and everybody just gets a pre generated character with an established set of motivations or objectives. You, the teacher, basically say, hey, this is the scenario. Everybody has their rules. And if you're able to accomplish your objectives, you can win. But what's neat is that at specific times, you say, okay, you have to issue orders to me, the referee. Mm -hmm. And you would have like a board in the middle of the classroom or whatnot. And what every student would do is in character, they would write down what their character is going to be doing Mm -hmm. based on the social alliances that they have made. I did something and then like this. You okay. read their orders, it changes the scenario, and then we go back to it. Yeah. So that's, easy to do in a oh, classroom. That's, I mean, yeah. So I did something like that. Uh, yeah. But the students weren't, um, they didn't have individual characters, but they, right. in like groups of like two or three, were in charge of small communities. Mm. And, okay, so yeah. they, and they were tracking things like happiness and um cool and security and all these things and they had access to different resources and so there's i like that and then there's one student who's like started going around and just like taking a survey of what resources everybody had access to because i i put a a big hex map up and i said okay like yeah and i was like okay choose a hex that like where your settlement is and then like let's talk about what might exist in that area and so go into geography and biology of course uh but you know so there's kids like going around doing surveys to try and figure out like who has what so they can make better trades 
And then another oh my God, kid. That's awesome. And then another kid starts like, can I attack another group? And I say, uh, you can, but there might be consequences. Like, what are you going to do? It's like, it's not up to me. And what ended up happening was like, as word got out that this one group of, you know, like the rabble rousers were like planning yeah. to attack, other groups just like, they made a peace treaty and an alliance with other groups. And they're like, okay, if they attack any of us, we'll all protect each other. And I was like, this is, I mean, this is global politics right here. Yeah, this is, you've got model UN right, right? now. And it's like, yeah, I'm not going to say no to any of this, but if you do this, people aren't going to be happy. Yeah, I mean, there are consequences to, to, to their actions and they're going to learn in a safe space to learn, yeah. right? If you attack somebody, people will wage war on you. But not literally, but in the but in yeah. the game that you're invested in, right? I that's really cool. I have um, I have another atypical recommendation. Oh, I'm um, very curious. It's uh, I feel like it's a game you would really like. It would not be good. For, you know what? I'm not going to make that decision <laughs> for you. I don't know if it would be good for your classroom. Uh, it's a LARP. Ooh. Uh, it's a game called Winterhorn. Do you know this game? I don't. I, I I've never actually participated in a LARP despite desperately wanting to. I've only been in one LARP, and it was not for for Winterhorn. <laughs> I actually bought this at Breakout Con, like Breakout Con 2018 or something. Oh. Um, and I have yet to play it, uh, but I really want well, to. I'm down. Winterhorn's really cool because it's it's a game about how law enforcement and government agents undermine activists. Ooh. That is like the core theme of it. It's about how like government entities basically destroy activist groups. And in the game, you actually play as law enforcement and your goal is to basically um, reflect on like weak points in activism. Mm-hmm. It's it's a game about social skills, but also like the world and how mm-hmm. we engage with politics. Um, I don't know if that would be good for fourth and fifth grade, but I think this would be a very cool tool in like university, high school. I can see adapting it because like um, it's like this year there was a like a, one of the unions went on strike, and it was like all of the yeah like the it wasn't. Uh, the teachers that were on who are on strike, but it was like uh, EAs and like dedicated uh, early childhood educators, yeah. uh, the caretaking staff, all these people who like make the schools run. Yeah, essential. <laughs> and uh, when they were on strike, so you know the kids had all these questions. So we started reading articles about you know the strike and what's going on. But wow. Because like so, this stuff is. I mean, it's still relevant, and they hear stories about things going on, or they'll like go downtown and they'll see some kind of demonstration. And so, yeah, I, I mean, I'd have to look at the content itself. To, like, it might be have to be adapted, um, for the age group. But I also think that we don't give kids enough credit sometimes. Yeah, that's. That's totally fair. I mean, that's that's why I was like, I'm not sure. I, I want to uh, know from you. Yeah, I because yeah, I'm not to investigate that. 
It's a it's a very cool game uh, by Bully Pulpit Games. Oh, who do love Bully Pulpit oh, Games? Yeah, who also you know publishes you know the Warren and an, another recommendation of mine, uh, Night Witches. Oh yes, yes, yes. Uh, like another like perfect um, great history game. Yeah. Well, there's also that incredible game, history game. Um, that I considered using in my class. Uh, you may have heard of it though. It's called Ross Rifles. Oh yeah, I love Ross Rifles. <laughs> <laughs> I love Ross Rifles. That's a great one. Um, I should get some copies to you. Um, I yeah, I mean that. I mean, wrote Ross Rifles for use in the classroom. Yeah, um, oh, I remember reading the Quick Start got like the um like a few years ago. Oh, way back when it was really poorly laid out by me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but God. I remember reading and being like, was, "Oh, there's like there's a lot of really good stuff in here and stuff that I could easily use in a classroom." Well, I should get you some copies of the books because we have quite a few. Oh, I um I remember the first playtest that we did of Ross Rifles was actually in my classroom, and it was on Remembrance Day. Oh, how, uh, oh, very appropriate. Remembrance Day, uh, twenty seventeen. I uh, if. Whatever remembers they fell on a Saturday, mm-hmm. but it was pre-pandemic. I'm pretty sure it was 2017. Um, and what we did was we actually went on a tour of the nearby U of T campus, mm-hmm. University of Toronto, for those who aren't in Toronto, um, looking at the World War I monuments. And you can actually oh, go yeah, into yeah. The, uh, the clock tower, the bell tower, mm-hmm. and they have a little museum there. And so I did a lesson in the First World War. And literally two weeks before... Two of my staff, Patrick and, and also named Daniel, uh, Patrick, Daniel, and I, we basically put together some Powered by the Apocalypse rules for Ross Rifles. And we basically went, briefed all of my staff and volunteers on how to run this because we had done PBTA games before. Okay. And we basically ran the entire Battle of Vimy Ridge. Oh, my God. Um, oh, that is. But each table with the respective gyms was a squad and they all had their own objectives to try to contribute to this oh, battle that's... and the great thing about world world war world war one is that like and a world war two game is that we already know what happens mm-hmm. right but we don't know what happened to individual characters individual like soldiers and their stories so that's what makes us like like games like this really fun to do because it's like yeah we know the outcome but we don't know what happens to your character. We don't mm-hmm. know what happens in your story and I, because your story is independent of the outcome of the battle. And I mean, and that what is a great tool to also do things like building empathy and imagining other po- imagining other points of view. Yeah. Oh, that, and just like oh, that, that that is good. That is good. Yeah, and and like one of the things like we wanted to do was also, I mean, if you look at your. And this is, again, me remembering my school experience. So I don't know if things have changed, so please correct me. But if you look at, like, a textbook or or really any mass-produced book about the First World War, you really just see white people. Oh, yes, yes. Okay, so still the same. (laughs) You really only see white people. And, like, you go to the museum, you go into the galleries, and that's all you see. And so we made, like, a concerted effort to make sure that there was an entire section in the book about the marginalized communities that mm-hmm. fought for the Canadian Expeditionary Forces so that people could actually go and make characters and be like, well, I want to play an Asian character, but also understand that that is also grounded in reality. Mm-hmm. It's not um, It's not a yeah. fictionalized, 
I mean, that part isn't fictionalized. Correct. Yeah. Your, your character could exist. And this is where, you know, we were really clear about like, you are telling your own story, but we are providing you with the tools required to sort of ground it in the reality mm-hmm. of World War One. And we spent a lot of time, like we went to the Canadian War Museum. We spent a ton of time in the archives there. I spent like six hours with the arm, one of the armorers. They're handling the guns and oh, all of the so trench, cool. <laughs> trench art. Trench art is so cool. And oh, I haven't even thought they about had, that, but. Oh my God. There, there were these, one of the, the most striking pieces I've ever seen was an artillery shell, like the casing of an artillery shell. And it had blown open and it had like, you know, like blossomed out like a flower. And these soldiers had actually like, I don't know, used some sort of sharp tool to basically pound in decorations oh. in Chinese. Oh, that's so cool. And... I don't know if it's actually on display in the museum because, I mean, it was in their archives, but they have an incredible amount of trench art there. And, like, the idea of having multiple dog tags on. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people think, oh, I just, you know, wear one around your neck. It was actually commonplace in the First World War for families to offer a present of a wrist tag mm. for really morbid reasons. Because a lot of people who were killed, their their torsos were destroyed. And so if you found an arm, there's a higher chance of people right. knowing that you didn't make it back. Yeah. Or at least getting an answer about your fate. Mm-hmm. And seeing these things in real life were like, it was a very, very I guess, a morbid, saddening experience. But also something that we wanted to document in this with like, hey, these are things you can give your character. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is why people use them in real life. And I mean, you see this in all all games about history. Night Witches has an incredible, I mean, at least like half of the book is a history book. Mm-hmm. But you're learning about it as you're playing the game. Like you said, it's a game first. Yes. And it's a game first. I mean, that's the biggest takeaway for me from this. It's like when we're making something something educational, it's got to be a game first. Because like... All of a sudden, you could have a student who wants to play the game and as a result, starts learning history. Yeah. Have you, um, in your classroom, have you ever used Minecraft Education Edition? Oh, I use it a lot. I use it a lot. That is such an incredible tool. I don't know why more people don't talk about it. It is so cool. It's because it's just Minecraft. The Minecraft every kid knows. Yep. But with literal chemistry built into it. They have the periodic table. You could create elements. Mm-hmm. You do math. It's oh, I mean, such a cool tool. Uh, I start with a few students. So I do like a genius hour. I call it creativity burst because I don't, I, I just have to put my mark on everything I do. <laughs> of course. Uh, but <laughs> Branding. It, but it's like, it is a chance where like, they just take on their own personal projects. And there are a couple of students who are like, we're going to learn how to use redstone. And, oh my god! And so yeah. I started talking like, okay, we start talking about like logic gates, and mm-hmm. it was complex. I mean, they didn't know a whole lot of it, but like they were suddenly interested in like, yeah, this logic is also how just computers work, which is why you can build a virtual computer in Minecraft. The things that I've seen people do with Minecraft is absolutely mind blowing. Mind blowing. Like there, and there are like 
and yes, Microsoft, big corporation and, and whatnot. But there are these pre-made modules that teachers can get for free if they have an access mm -hmm. to like Minecraft Education Edition. And there is one that I've explored a lot of. And it's a chemistry classroom. And there are literal game tools like crafting tables where you can craft elements. And you can go cool. and you can make helium. And you can go and you can make latex and you can make a balloon and you can actually fill a balloon in minecraft with helium and tie it to an animal and the animals fly and you could do all of this within a game that kids already know how to play mm -hmm. like you can go and you can program things in minecraft now. i mean and, the biggest challenge wow. i think is actually the teacher more than the student because yeah because i guess the teacher needs to know how to like within my within my school like, I'm probably the only teacher who knows how to play Minecraft. Branding. Right? But yeah, it's it's a challenge, though, I guess, because if you're a teacher and you, you know, don't know how to play TTRPGs, you've never done that before. Mm -hmm. And somebody gives you like, you know, <laughs> okay, we're, we're going we're gonna to play Told by Starlight. What? Yeah. I, I guess that's, that's a big challenge. And you know what? It's, it's actually related to another question that we had from our patrons cat mm -hmm. asked um for folks who don't have connections to the education industry or and i will say also do, maybe don't have connections to ttrpgs um for people who aren't connected to education who aren't teachers who aren't support staff uh who aren't friends of teachers and want to be involved with bringing ttrpgs to a classroom What's the best way to approach that? Like, you're the only teacher in your school who knows how to play Minecraft. I would assume that that might also extend to TTRPGs. Yeah, I mean, uh, no, there's one other teacher who I know plays uh, D&D regularly. One. Another Ryan Khan. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there's two teachers at your school, but what if you're a parent and you don't have, you know, the one true Ryan Khan as the, the teacher of your children, Right. How do you, a TTRPG fan, bring that to the classroom? How do you bridge that conversation? How do you, how do you bring that to a teacher? I think Because I know that there is a lot of pride in being a teacher. And, and I've seen this firsthand because Asian Tiger Mom growing up, <laughs> they, my mom thought she could teach better than my teachers. H how do you kind of bring that to a classroom without criticizing a teacher? How do you even donate materials? What is the best way to even approach a school, even if you aren't a parent? And you want to just in your designer, maybe. I mean, the the first thing is like it's going to be your pitch. Like so many things, it's going to be your pitch. Of course. Um, but a lot of schools would love to have a volunteer coming in once a week to run up, like to run a small club or something like that. Oh, like an after school, like, like after club school or, or a lunchtime club or something like that. Um. Or like if you have a kid or a kid you're connected to and you can go into a class and do like a workshop. Because like, I've done this kind of like a morning where we play a whole bunch of games and then an afternoon mm. where you take what we played and then like do something with that. Like take some of the mechanics or take some of the themes, the ideas, and then put it into your own game in the afternoon. Um, like I'm, I'm super open. Like if people... 
wanted to come in and like they had like a full program that it's like oh yeah i could do this thing it's gonna look like this i mean i would be down for stuff like that yeah or like if you were like a game designer could you go and just donate a whole bunch of books to like the library oh easy do that easy yeah I mean, we're in Canada. I know it's a little bit different in some parts of the yeah, yeah. I, I, I will only. Speak well, we're talking to, about Canada. I will only speak to my experience as a teacher, which is not a universal experience. But yeah, unfortunately, I mean, if you could like, like going to a school's librarian and say, like, here's this really cool book, and like taking the time to like, talk about it and being able to express how this could be a benefit to the school community yeah i think most people would be really receptive to something like that uh you might have now you have all the problems with like budgets and timing and i'm not saying it would be of course an, an easy path but if it's something that you're generally genuinely passionate about uh like i i know one of my students uh his dad sent him to a D and D like a camp for a weekend. And he, oh, yeah. and he was trying to explain it to me. I'm like, no, 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 don't, don't worry. We're good. But like seeing like, so seeing a parent who's like, I, he didn't know much about it, but he knew that it might be something that his kid would like. It's like, yeah, like yeah. following that same kind of thing. It's like, if you can present this as a thing that would be like educational and fun and easy for the teacher. Yeah, I think that's really important. It has to be adaptable. Yeah. Uh, it, huh. There are and like honestly, just like I, I pitched something like this when I was uh, in teachers' college of doing a like an after-school games uh, club, but I pitched it as things like collaborative storytelling, and uh, it, and I talked to like you know pointed towards things like it's to have drama skills and art skills and there's gonna be the math in there and language plus all of the like the wealth of social skills etc cetera, etc cetera. and mm. it was a pretty easy sell like immediately they're like oh yeah and like i gave them an outline it's like yeah we would start with um we're gonna start with fiasco actually and, wow are we just like <laughs> this is not sponsored by bully right <laughs> But Fiasco was an easy sell as it's like, oh, it's an improv game and it's all about yeah. like the yes and collaboration. It's the spin. And I mean, mm. at least like with games, I don't think it's uh I don't think it's disingenuous. It's just knowing where where to put the spotlight. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think being able to articulate how it ties into the curriculum or ties into the core skills that these non-gamers this non-gamer audience are, are looking for like how do you translate your passion for a game your passion for something you've designed or something that you know about into well i guess teacher jargon right yeah and it goes back to like really easily those four c's like how does it work on how does it help with communication how does it help with collaboration critical thinking and creativity also, I feel like anyone like if you can articulate that yeah and if anyone out there is like how would i do that and you want to like shoot me a dm like that's that's kind of my jam so there we go there we go <laughs> i i remember the first time i ever collaborated with somebody as like a teacher mm -hmm. uh their handle on twitter is portable city they're also oh, based in shell is, shell is awesome amazing that so shell and i met because of reddit 
Oh, really? And I was like, yeah. And I was like working as like a doing my D&D stuff at the ROM. I didn't know anybody in the industry. I didn't even think that I can work in RPGs. And I remember the head of education at the museum mentioned that there was somebody on Reddit talking about the ROM's D&D thing. And I, I looked them up and then I found Shell. And I got in touch with them on Twitter and I found the budget and I invited them to come into my class to talk about art. And we did it in the gallery and the kids wrote a character in our shared campaign setting and Shell painted the character. Oh my God, that's amazing. In front of the kids. So Shell was painting and I actually have it. I still have it. I took it. Um, But uh, Shell was painting while we were gaming in our classroom. And the kids could just had the freedom to just get up and go and just take a look at what Shell was oh, that's doing. Super cool. And Shell would like pull some volunteers to like pose and stuff. And it was an incredible morning. But that's how like that's how easy it is. Literally mm-hmm. reaching out to somebody and asking, Hey, like, can you like can I contribute? Hey, I've got this work. Can I donate something? Yeah. Hey, I've got a pitch. Here's my pitch, and here's how it aligns with the things you're looking for in your students. Mm-hmm. I I've got one other one, and it's not a game for everybody. We talk about you know cyberpunk a lot on Asians Represented, and how like cyberpunk as a genre okay. is extremely flawed in its <laughs> representation of Asian cultures, yeah, right? right. Um, but there's a really unique game called The Veil. Oh yes, another kid. Yes, another Veil. Um, the Veil is interesting because your attributes are your emotions, mm-hmm. and when you're rolling and you're selecting, and you're able to select the attribute you want to use, you have to articulate how your character is feeling. And I think that is an incredibly powerful tool in a classroom. Because, I mean, even your home game, we need to talk more about our feelings. We need to be yes. able to articulate how we're feeling. Because I think that is a skill that we, that most people have not honed. I, I think it's one that is in, in some ways almost, if not discouraged, it's kind of pushed out of focus a lot. Yeah, I, you know, we're we're not allowed to talk about our feelings, or if we do talk about our feelings, we're being dramatic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the veil is just a, like another really good example of like a a safe space, an experience, a game first that encourages you to articulate your emotions, even in a fictional setting. It is literally training that core skill. Yes, and I. There are just a lot of games out there. And honestly, the big takeaway is that any game that gets you, gets a young person, gets an older person to engage with their world, engage with their surroundings, engage with those around them in a meaningful way and in an exciting and novel way mm-hmm. is a good game. Yes. And is an educational experience. I mean... At least that that's how I, I that's, no, that's my that's my thought. <laughs> I, I'm very much on the same page. I I see especially public education as a chance to offer a breadth of experience to to students. And yeah. We don't have access to everything, but the gaming space can make some things more approachable. Yeah. And uh 100% I, I say, you know, approachable instead of accessible to avoid the uh, conflating it with like accessibility in terms of like individual needs. 
mm-hmm. but uh, because you can access fiction from a first person perspective, it gives us new insight into those experiences. It's not the same as just reading a book because as a book, like as a, a reader or an audience member, you have no efficacy in that world. But when you right, of course. But when you start playing a game, you can dive into like, what would I do in this situation, or what would somebody do in this situation, and then test it out and see how the world reacts to it. You have um, agency over yes. the story, rather than being a passive participant. You are an active driver mm-hmm. in the fiction. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, and it offers a new perspective that other mediums just can't do. And it's not an indictment of those mediums; it's just different, different things. But games as a tool gives us access to all of these things. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. There is, there are a lot of educational games out there. There are games that like specifically were designed to teach people about these things. There are games that sort of passively teach this. Honestly, any TTRPG is going to get you to work on your math skills. Like for me, just like, I'm not good at math, but if there are math rocks on the table, I'm going to count those up real fast. It's not that you weren't... I can go through that like D&D 3.5 character sheet, that Pathfinder first edition character sheet, (laughs) like a spreadsheet. Like I'm there. It's not that you're bad at math. You probably just weren't taught it in a way that made sense to you. Yes. Yes. And if... If only that were communicated to more students, I right? Mean, for a long time, I thought I was terrible at math. And then I took a symbolic logic course in university and I did quite well. And I was like, but I'm using the same type of reasoning, but I'm doing well here and I didn't do well there. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, it's because like, again, it's like the personal relevance and all this stuff. But uh, like we talked a whole bunch about in my class, uh, probability and odds and fractions because we're playing mm. dice games of course and it's like okay like and they're, they're just like simple kind of like cottage games but it's like yeah. all right how do you maximize this your score in this push your luck game oh i like that and the, i like that and the power gamers in the class were like i need to know this of course you're gonna get the min maxers yeah. you're gonna get the people who love the system yep and then you're going to get people who love what the system produces, mm-hmm. that narrative. Um, and it's going to be good to like, cater to both of those, right? Oh, and yeah. everything in between. Um, yeah, that we could, we could continue talking <laughs> more about this. But honestly, what we should do is um, at the next Toronto Con, if there's a chance, we should host a panel. Yes, we should. Um, we should host a panel on this um, because I think that especially at cons here, we see a lot of teachers going to those. Oh, yeah. A ton of and teachers. just become fascinated with this topic of like edu-gaming. Because I know like edu-gaming is like, it's a, it's a buzzword. People love it, right? Yeah. Um, but a lot of schools don't have the budget, right? Because when people think of edu-gaming, they think of video games. They think of uh, Assassin's Creed Origins, mm-hmm. you know, the educational mode. Yeah, where you can just explore. Super cool. Oh, yeah. I, actually, I went to a talk at, a, at U of T a couple years ago that was specifically looking, one of the examples was that um, 
Assassin's Creed and how do video how can video games be used as educational tools? Was that it was really yeah, it's incredible, right? Um, but a lot of I feel like a lot of teachers, uh, a lot of like school administrators, don't realize how accessible educational gaming can be because yes. they think about video games and the cost of like a computer, the cost of a game console, the cost of a mm-hmm. screen, or the negative connotations associated with games. And they don't realize that all it takes is potentially a deck of cards yeah. or a book or a zine or literally a one-page set of instructions oh yeah on a called like lasers and feelings right mm-hmm. and i think the more people who who realize this i think we are going to see a a future where students feel like they have more control over their learning and yes. are more invested in their learning oh yes i mean yeah the classroom should be a a playful space and i say playful i mean like full of play because that is in so many ways how we learn and like that is is especially true with the really little kids but yeah absolutely like you're you're (laughs) i'm still blown away that you taught kindergarten remotely during the pandemic oh it was great because i don't know how i do that Uh, a lot of songs um uh it wasn't as much songs as uh i treated it like a variety show (laughs) <laughs> okay so like i had cool. like some stuffed animals that would make appearances on screen and uh oh my god but one thing i just like i did a ton of storytelling and you know yeah. we, and so i would send them on adventures they're going down a river and they want to go like this way or that way but they got to collect stuff i had you know their treasure boxes at the bottom of the ocean this one has three treasure boxes but two sharks that one has one treasure box but one shark which one should you go for and then they're starting like this was kindergarten, so they're starting to actually like compare small numbers, which is a skill that has to be learned. Yeah, but there is no inherent right answer. So I had kids who were like, "I want more treasure," so I'm going to the one with more treasure. And I had kids who were like, "Ah, but this one has only one shark." Compared to the danger, risk, reward. Yeah. Wow, that's that's really cool. I. If only I could go back in time and be a student now, <laughs> things would be different. But I can't. But what I can do is, you know, try to facilitate and host conversations about this. Because I think there need to be more teachers like you. There need to be people who are willing to take risks for their students. People who are willing to truly care for their students by giving them control over how they learn. And by enabling them to do that with like the right tools or the variety yeah. of tools. And uh, I will say this, you know, Asians represent the only reason why we're able to do this is because of, you know, our amazing patrons. And so, you know, we have a lot of people to thank. Um, we're going to have to figure out a new way to do this because there are so many names on here. Um, but we have a, a lot of folks who make sure that we can continue to do content like this to make sure that I don't burn out. We have a whole team of folks that Asians represent now who are working on like cool topics. We have an entire series of educational videos that we're just going to do on YouTube Oh, nice. uh, that Emma's going to take care of because we're tired of basically being like having folks be like, 
oh, I don't want to listen to a two-hour podcast on Orientalism. <laughs> Tell me what it is. You'd be like, now here's a YouTube video. Here's 10 minutes. Oh, that'd be good. Um, that's a big thing we're going to do. I mean, especially um, we're also... I point, people oh, to, I point people to the Asian represent podcast. Like, when you, if you want to learn more, especially right now, it's, um, it's Asian Heritage Month. You know, so yeah. it's like, go check this out. If you want to, like, a deeper dive into some of these themes and how they intersect with, like, pop culture and games and stuff, like, go give it a listen. Yeah, yeah. And uh, one of the things that we're doing is we are actually uh, fundraising for AIPA Heritage Month. Oh, nice. Um, we've got a campaign going on that we're doing uh, with our good pal, um, John Ryamasa. And um, essentially what we're doing is we are raising money. Uh, the goal is $1,000 over the course of the month. And I'm going to link everything related to this in uh, our show notes. Um, we're going to be collecting donations. I'm going to put out a big social media blast on this starting next week. Um, but we do have a Tiltify campaign that's going to culminate in an actual play at the end of the month that I am extremely, extremely excited about. Um, we have a show at the end of the month that's essentially going to be a Western meets Journey to the West. Um, I'm sold. And it's going to be sold. a two-parter. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a two-parter <laughs> called uh, Hither and Yawn in Heaven. Um, it is a Journey to the West-inspired fantasy Western two-shot charity game that we're going to host. Um, we're going to include all the dates and everything. Um, but very excited to be doing this. Very excited to be, you know, helping John raise money for this. So if you folks are watching live, um, I've put the link in the chat. Donate if you can. If you can't, that's totally okay, but spread the word. Um, I will put this in the show notes for folks who are listening on audio, as well as the notes under the video on YouTube. Um, but we will be talking about this a lot on social media. Uh, but that said, um, back to like our patrons, the, the folks who really make this possible for us. Um, most honorable Metal Weave Games, most honorable Valorous Games, Dungeon Glitch slash Matt, who I actually got to attend D&D Summit with, for better or for worse, D&D Summit with, uh, remotely. Uh, the most honorable times to Epic Impulse, Michelle, Stefan, and Bob C. You folks are, are incredible and your support means a lot. And Everyone else, you know, on the screen, if you're watching on, on YouTube, you'll see all of our patrons there. Uh, you folks make this possible. And, of course, this conversation wouldn't be possible without you, Ryan, and, you know, the incredible contributions you're making to the games industry. Um, I, I said this to you at Breakout Con. I said this to you when we, you know, we first started talking. Like, I am super excited to see where you go with, uh, like, game design. I, I really appreciate that. Uh, like, you're, you, you are very good at what you do. And I hope you never stop. <laughs> I hope you never stop. But that said, thank you so much for, for joining me for this episode of Asians Represent. I will have links to uh, your itch store, your socials on, uh, on all of our show notes. Uh, folks should reach out to you if they have questions. Yes, yes please do. Buy your games. If you're a teacher, if you took one thing out of this, it's buy Told by Starlight and try that in your classroom. Because having played it myself, it is awesome. It is awesome. Um, so that is going to be my, my recommendation for the entire episode. Uh, um, and not because it's your game, Ryan, <laughs> because it's just a great game. Well, I, I it's a great game. <laughs> really appreciate that. 
Thank you. And, um, but and I, oh, I, you go I ahead. Sorry, a, this is so Canadian know, of us. Right? This is so Canadian of us. Uh, but like, no, I've had a great time. I'm really like, you know, this is a really fun conversation, and like the chance to come on and chat with you, and like for you to make space uh, for like me as well, like in on your podcast on like through the your network. Like, it, I really appreciate that as well. This has been a lot of fun. I, I appreciate you and the, the the pleasure is mine because like the best thing about Asians Represent is that I just get to learn from every guest and I'm just jazzed to learn. So I'm just happy to be here. Um, but that said, like you are always welcome on the show. If there is a topic that you think would benefit the community, let me know. There's always a spot for you. Well, thank you. All right. All right. Well, that said, <laughs> thank you everyone for joining us for this episode. Please, I, I mean it. Message Ryan if you have questions. Buy Ryan's game. Buy Ryan's games, and all of the games he talked about are, in my opinion, extremely meaningful. Uh, something that would be of benefit to you as like a learner, but also if you're a teacher, your classroom. Um, but that said, take care, everyone, and uh, we'll see you next time. <laughs>